0: And if you work at it, you will find out that two things will happen. You'll either achieve that goal and that dream, ultimately, or you won't. Now, you say, well, that's pretty stupid. Well, what I'm coming down to is so what? What?
1: Boss Uncaged is a bi-weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners as they become uncaged trailblazers, unconventional thinkers, untethered trendsetters, and unstoppable tycoons. We always hear about overnight success stories, never knowing that it took 20 years to become a reality. Our host, S.A. Grant, conducts narrative accounts through the voices and stories behind Uncaged Bosses. In each episode, guests from a wide range of backgrounds sharing diverse business insights. Learn how to release your primal success through words of wisdom from inspirational entrepreneurs and industry experts as they depict who they are, how they juggle their work life with family life, their successful habits, business expertise, tools, and tips of their trade. Release the uncaged boss beast in you. Welcome our host, S.A. Grant.
2: Welcome back to Boss Cage Podcast. Today's show is a special episode. I had an opportunity to interview W.D. Evans. You'll learn that I call him Sir Evans. But this guy, I don't even know where to begin to explain who he is and what he has accomplished in his life. But he's 84 years old. His tagline is the man with more lives than a cat. His business card, instead of it just being a CEO or a founder on there, it says Arctic Explorer, Pilot, Survivor, Inventor soldier gambler teacher author artist musician entrepreneur and lover on this episode he drops so many beautiful nuances to life that you could learn from not just from business not just on building companies not just filing patents but he's 84 years old and he's accomplished more in his lifetime than a dozen people combined in their lifetimes Without any other spoilers, Sir Evans. Welcome to the show, Sir Evans. That's the nickname that I have for you, Sir Evans. Oh, Sir. (laughs) Sir Evans. (laughs)
0: Uh, Thank you.
2: Got it, got it. So the first question that I have for you, just, you know, we met, what, a couple weeks ago at a a writing workshop. And just the magnitude of your life and the things that you've accomplished. Um, You have things on here from Arctic Explorer, Secret Agent, Unique Musician, surviving pilot, entrepreneur, experienced lover. I mean, who are you?
0: <laughs> My wife and I are just, uh, plain ordinary people. They have been fortunate enough to be put into extraordinary circumstances to look at the challenges and not just accept those challenges, but try to, take each of the challenge and uh, learn from it and use it as a kind of food, if you will, to uh, ward off, uh, we know, fears and challenges and changes and stuff in the future. So we just uh, live each day sort of the best we can, and we try to come out the better of the day for us and for our family and our friends. And... uh, we just believe that we've been here, put on the purpose, life for a purpose, and uh, I'm still kind of searching. But it basically is to, uh, like uh, the Lord says, to serve uh, mankind in the general sense man and woman, and uh, just trying to find ways that we can make things, life better, and really pay back. There's been so many people, so many times, so many events that uh, we have learned from. We've enjoyed uh, even the hard times. So we're here kind of to pay back mm-hmm. to those that have been so generous over the years. And using our little phrase, it's never too late to make your dreams come true. If we can show people that even no matter how old they are, or young they are, they can make changes in their life. And uh, if the first one doesn't work, you try another one. So that's basically it. We, we like to feel as if we've been put here to serve some need and uh, that we're doing pretty good at uh, helping uh, people and uh, our family and uh, like to have some legacy that maybe uh, the tombstone can say something like, uh, they made a difference.
2: That's very, very interesting. I mean, one of your taglines, and you actually got it trademarked as well, is a man with more lives than a cat. That's true. I mean, how did you come up with that?
0: Well, after I had, uh, unfortunately, land uh, our little airplane, my wife had helped me build in a tree when we were encountering a storm and burning up fuel. We ran out of fuel, so we had to go through all the maneuvers that you were trained to do, nose down, keep your airspeed up, whatever, and uh, looked to the left, and there were houses down there, Looked to the right, and there was a leak. Look forward, and the landing field was way up ahead, and the only place we had to land was down, and that was in trees. Anyway, when we finally got down, and we thanked the Lord and says, if we get down, we're going to uh, stay on the ground, and do something. And my wife said, what are you going to do? And I said, what do you suggest? She said, well, why don't you write books about all your crazy adventures that we've had together? So uh, I said, oh, okay. That was really the beginning of books. But actually, it was a rewind of stories that I had uh, told the children and the grandchildren over many years. And uh, one event was I was telling stories with my one grandson And he said, Grandpa, you live more lives than a cat. And I said, ah, that could be a great tagline. That would be something that could attract attention. And it was so true. And so uh, at least 16 different events and lives. So... We trademarked it, and that's what we put on all our literature and everything, the man with more lives than a cat.
2: So you're definitely a forward thinker, right? I mean, you're always thinking uh, what's coming up next, and we've had a couple of discussions in our short period of time knowing each other that I can definitely tell that you're always on the next thing, what's coming up next. If we can kind of go back a little bit in time and kind of give people a little understanding of your entrepreneurial insight. You know, you've created patents for GPS. You were an artist. You were many different things. Just go ahead and describe some of those things.
0: Without saying, oh, woe is me and feel sorry Mm -hmm. for me, I was born during the Great Depression, and my father uh, couldn't support us. And uh, the government, thank goodness, President Roosevelt, had a program that could help mothers and children where there was no uh, father. And yet, if there was a father there, Regardless of the fact that 25% of the men, males, uh, couldn't find a job. Uh, if you had a, a father there, then the father was expected somehow miraculously to support a family. But if the father wasn't there, then the government would help subsidize food and a place to stay and whatever. Well, I'd like to believe when I was one, my father, one of, I was the last of three children. Uh, I'd like to believe that he, in his own mind, had to leave to go and try to find a job. He never came back. I don't know what happened to him. But that put a terrible strain on the family. My mother worked two jobs, and my siblings were older, and even in their teens, they. my sister was a car up and from there and driving. It was not a not an easy life. Well, that gave me this feeling that uh, if I wanted to amount to anything, my father did give me the legacy that I had to do it myself. And so I had a lot of dreams and didn't have much material goods, but uh, I thought about many of the things you've just seen. Could I be an artist or could I be an inventor or uh, could I be a pilot or all of that? And those were the dreams that kind of kept me going. And I always looked to a better tomorrow. I had hoped that uh, tomorrow would be better than today. And I would say, what can I do to help make that happen? So one of the books we wrote has a tagline on there that says, uh, a better way. And so my whole life has been searching for a better way because I didn't like early on in a young kid the way I was living it was difficult to go to school with their little brown bag and a half brown apple and like when you were a little kid and the people you went to school with generally had lunch buckets and stuff but my mother would tell us that uh, you may not have the fanciest clothes but they will be clean so i took pride in the fact that no matter what we had we were doing the best and i said it's not the outside what you wear and what you look like is how you're inside. So I said, oh, well, I can, how can I make friends? And the idea was uh, to help them, whatever they need help with. So besides helping myself, I in turn tried to help others. So that started a path of, of basically looking in the future. In fact, in one of my jobs, RCA, I uh, was accused of uh, being able to see the future. Because I always looked for what's next, what's around the next corner. And so the book we're writing is called The Man with the the Man That Saw the Future. Okay. It's called The Futurist. So I've always had that, that spirit or drive to look beyond today and look at what can be. And I hope that's not too long of a conversation in that area.
2: No, I think it's definitely a great insight, and it's a good segue. I mean, you're talking, one of your taglines is misery to millionaire. Yes. So, I mean, you just gave us essentially the beginning, the dawn. How did you get into the point to where becoming a millionaire, how did that journey happen?
0: I was five years old, and again, it's in one of the books. Uh, I was five years old, and I thought my much older sister uh, had forgot about me at a public swimming pool. And, of course, I was in the baby pool, and she was in the big kid's pool, and I couldn't find her. So I started to walk home. And in the book, it talks about walking miles and miles. It was probably a couple blocks, but he's only five. Then he says that uh, he couldn't tell where he was, so he felt he had a good sense of direction. So he just turned around, and however he stopped, he started walking in that direction, which is pretty silly. But uh, anyway... So he says, um, I'm going to have to call people. I'm going to have to, and he's crying, and he jokes that he says that they can't see the street signs because of all the tears and everything, but doesn't make any difference because he's so young, he you can't read anyway. So uh, he says, there's got to be a better way. Uh, I'm crying, I'm hollering, and unless you're very close to me, you, you can't hear me. So he says, someday, and this is the key point, someday I'm going to come up and make something that can get people help around the whole world. Talk about a vision. Yeah. That they can be found and they can get the help in life and far beyond them just being able to cry for help. So in the back of his mind, he has this, goal of a lifetime to come up with something that can help people across the entire world that need help. So does he think about that all the time? No. But there's this driving force that whatever he does, looking backwards in retrospect, it was always one more step, one more level towards that unknown goal that he has and not knowing how to get there or when it's going to happen. And so he's always had this thing about trying to help people that can't help themselves. And so that started the ultimate road for him to get into what we call today wireless. In the early days, of was called radio. Mm-hmm. So everything he did, everything he studied, in the back of his mind, he had this desire to find a secret to communicate, have people communicate their needs around the whole world. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that wasn't too much. No,
2: I think you you have a, a really good art of storytelling. You're talking about yourself in third person and you're depicting a story in a visual sense that I, I can see it in your eyes that you could actually remember step by step when these things actually happen. So it's really insightful to see that you can actually do that. It's a good gift. My next question is, well, so today, what is your business?
0: Okay. I have what I would jokingly call a consulting business. But in reality, it's uh, taking my experiences of the past and uh, providing through books, through guest speaking engagements, through workshops as appropriate. The the message across that whether you're young or you're old, there's always a hope for a better tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that was my driving force my whole life, was always looking for a better way. And it was that thing, as we discussed earlier, that kind of forced me to look beyond today. I mentioned the fact that some people said I could see the future, and uh, of which we're writing a book. But it's the fact that I saw what happened yesterday, what happened today, and bar any major catastrophe, uh, projecting that out and say, well, where and what could be at some point in time. Uh most of the time it worked out pretty good in terms of projecting new products for RCA and GE ahead of other people by at least a couple of years. And that's why you saw some of the inventions that were redone in the forefront. So at times it gets a little difficult to put words into it because I literally still have a pretty good brain and I literally relive many of the events and some are Very positive and other ones are not. uh, We'll talk maybe later. I occasionally suffer from post-traumatic stress and that's a story in itself. So I'm always, was always looking for a better way and uh, eventually, which we'll probably get to in my seventies, I found that better way. And uh, you can ask me about that later.
2: (laughs) Got it. Got it. So, I mean, coming from the military, and you were telling me the story earlier of the transition from military into the real world. Yes. And then having to go back and work for the military. And the next step was for me was kind of very impactful and very insightful. It's like how many patents did you actually capture over your life?
0: 18 patents and probably over 30 or 35 inventions of which... The rest of them, of the 18, were never uh, patented, either because I was an independent and I didn't have the funds to do so, or the fact that the company I was working with, surprisingly, was not, that they thought there was uh, no value. But because, I'm going to take a sip of water, because in the case of at least two or three, they thought it was so proprietary that they uh, didn't want to even file patents on it because they were afraid somebody would steal it. So that was, I guess, on one hand disappointing and the other hand a compliment. So back to your question.
2: So with those patents, which one that in today's world that people could kind of look out and realize they may not know you created a patent. For example, you told me about the GPS, right?
0: Uh, Yeah, we're yes,
2: three Three. patents of the GPS, and
0: I was seventy years old, so it's never too late. (laughs) And now that you brought it up, that's the climax of the little boy looking for something that can help people around the world. And uh, back in the late '60s, early '70s, I had worked in some early, early GPS, and once again said, "Got to be a better way." So, in spite of the a lack of funds whatever i worked with my wife on it and we patented and the bottom line of that what you know uh finally got found if you will and it took 15 years to get any funds out of it and that's the second part of misery to millionaire so we went to the misery of the little kid poor mm-hmm. and to millionaire where we became a millionaire That may not be much in today's world, but for somebody that didn't have anything, an awful lot. And it did help my family and my kids with their dreams.
2: Got it. So that particular patent, is that what we see in cars, GPS, today? Yes, that's
0: the, that, it's, let me clarify. The basic GPS is, it was uh, created through the government and everything. But there was a lack of seeing what the opportunity would be in the consumer marketplace and the government, uh, and the, uh, particularly the vehicles. And this was enhancements to the core of uh, GPS that helped it grow in terms of its ability to fit into the automotive industry. Uh, John Deere plowing fields, uh, people carrying GPS up the Appalachian Trail, uh, you name it. So it was the ability to see ahead mm-hmm. of what could be, and once again, uh, what what can be tomorrow. In the late '60s, early '70s, put these patents together. But as I told you, got couldn't get may anybody to be interested because they didn't understand it. Got That's it. one of the downsides of kind of I'll call it a visionary or someone that could be you talk to some people and the joke is that John Doe has a vision of the future and his future is what am I going to have for lunch? Okay. (laughs) In this case, mine was pretty far out, two years, three years, four years sometimes. And it's been a blessing because I've always had the opportunity to help create a number of things and when they finally show up, I say "Oh, okay, my daughter to this day, a little sidelight, I have a wrist watch, a prototype of a early communicating device. And uh, so she took a picture of this little, you can see all the electronics in it, it's covered in plastic, and she put her uh, smart watch next to it. And with a high degree of pride, she said, my dad did the prototype for this uh, 50 years ago. And uh so, anyway, I didn't mean to get carried away, but it's just another point of of uh, we saw in the GPS, and so we had three patents uh, on that dealing with improvements. So I had to clarify that improvements in it, even though parts of it go all the way back to the heart of what makes GPS work in automobiles.
2: That's that's definitely a great segue to like your daughter said, 50 years to get to that point. We always hear about the overnight success stories that took 20 years to become a reality. (laughs) What would you have done differently to get you to where you are a lot faster if you could do it all over again?
0: Probably nothing. Because we learned, we had uh, from everything that was a setback, we became, uh, you know, I'm sitting here at almost 85 and I say maturity. Uh, We became more mature. The biggest thing was uh, through all of the roller coaster rides, ups and downs and businesses, uh, fifteen years for things to happen, to become a known artist, uh, whatever. It all stems from the fact that we didn't have that much either. Me or my wife. She was a lower, lower middle class, hardworking, uh, steel mill type person. And that's probably why we clicked because we had such similar, and so we didn't have much to start with. Her a little more. He, she had a father, a great guy, took me under his wings. But we always looked at things of in terms of how do we turn this downside into something plus. So our whole attitude when we got married was we're not penny pinchers. But when you don't have much to start with uh, and you come out of the army and you don't have any funds and you want to marry this girl, then you do the hard things, the hard choices. When I got a letter from the government saying, you have just what we need in your communication skills to help protect the country in the Arctic during the Cold War of 1960, was it easy to say to her, we have a job? I've got a job now. It's going to pay us enough money to get married and go back to school, but you can't come with me. And she just spent two years when I was in the army and letters and stuff. Now I'm going to tell her I'm going to leave again. Once we got up there and went through so many things like storms and threats from polar bears and all of that, when we came back, we realized we had this phenomenal life we could live and compared to some of the downsides we had gone through, and many yet to come, that most of what life would throw us away, throw our way, wasn't really a big deal. So I know that's hard to realize when you've gone bankrupt uh, twice, and uh, you now the government has told you that your first patent, automatic fine-tuning, was a scam, and they were going to sue you for fraud, because they didn't understand it, Okay. But that was it. Our core was having a difficult time when we were young and realizing every opportunity that came up, we're going to we're going to do the best we could to make that make it happen. Hmm. Hmm. I rambled a lot. I'm sorry.
2: No, I mean, I think you're you're giving insight to who you are and I think you're defining a legacy and you're telling a journey. So, I mean, by all means, keep continuing doing what you're doing. So do you come from an entrepreneurial background? I know you were saying that, you know, you came from a lower class family, but where did you get your entrepreneurial spirit and your insight?
0: Uh, My deserting father. So that that that's, I had no choice. No choice. I had no choice. Okay. And then I said, every day that goes by, I'll try how how to make it better. The risk taking was that when you don't have much to start with, then it's not too difficult to decide to take a risk. Because what have you got to lose?
2: Very true. Very true. How do you juggle your work life and your family life?
0: Okay. Uh, since I've had a few mishaps over the years, and I'll have to quickly go through that, I've fallen a number of times. I've messed up my back. I've had some strokes. I've had brain concussion. I can only stand for about uh, 10 minutes. I crash planes four times. That in itself is pretty bad. So within the limitations that I have physically, uh, even though I can fake it quite a bit now and then, I have to watch where I go and how much I get involved with physical activities. And I do take a, have a can occasionally. So with all of that in mind, I sit down and figure out, well, what, how, how can I take what I've done, any talents I may have, any message I may have, and use them? And that's where i come up with things like writing books where i don't really have to travel a lot Mm -hmm. but occasionally when invited or i run across somebody that says we'd like you to speak at i've had about six speaking engagements in the last couple of years of book clubs and elder care you name it it's things that i come up with so do i wake up in the morning and I say I'm going to spend the next two or three hours writing. No. How do I do that then? I do it by inspiration. I have multiple notebooks. You passed a number coming in here, and uh, they're just, uh, you call them scribbles, but it's thoughts. I'll get a thought, and at some time, a little after that, like a new book, I'll do a title, I might try to pick a picture of a number of things and maybe I'll write what's called the elevator pitch, the first paragraph or so, maybe a little more than that. And I'll put it on the show. But at least I got the idea down on something. So I write by emotion. I don't write by a schedule. So if I can remember it, there's a a, uh, saying that I have that I don't write by a script. Uh, I would write from the soul. Okay, so no, I don't have a schedule in terms of writing. As far as uh, the family is concerned, we usually we have birthdays together, we have holidays together. Uh, my grand, my uh, one daughter lives only about uh, less than a thousand feet away, and so we have had the chance to watch her children grow up. One of them was the young man that's now in the military. Uh, just got back from Korea. He's the one that says, you have more lives than a cat. So we get together on family occasions, but they have their lives together, and we try not to interfere. My daughter next door knows that we're not as mobile as we used to be, so if she can, she does grocery shopping. But we still go to meetings where we met, yep. but it's just kind of a limited a little bit. So we do things where we can do them here, where, where we are. And that's why we're starting our little 12, 15-minute short stories about our lives that uh, you are uh, going to be recording, uh, visual, with some pictures and using. We started some YouTubes. Uh, don't know how we're going to get anybody to look at him, but that's where you come into play here.
2: <laughs> yeah, we definitely had you in the right direction as far as a marketing
0: strategy. <laughs> <laughs> What's um, it say? We have the content and you, you have the ability to do something with it.
2: Yeah, to get it delivered.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so this this is a big one for me. Is like, what is your morning routines, your morning habits? Like,
0: well, when you're turning 85, getting up for one. <laughs> I had in one of my businesses, I had an elderly gentleman and I said, uh, he had an Apple computer and he did all his finances. And I said, what keeps you going? And he said, well, when I open up my eyes in the morning and I see some degree of sunlight, I know it's going to be a good day. So when I wake up in the morning and I see some sunlight, I said, that's the start of a good day. Plus, When we get up, we start a routine of looking at each other and smiling, okay? She's been an angel 60 years of putting up with me, pretty much. but And we've had a lot of hard times, but it just made our love a lot better, okay? You really don't, when you're young, young, uh, it's passion. And then after a period of time, it becomes more routine, and there's downsides, upsides, But if you know how to tackle them, and if your life has started pretty well hard, then you appreciate all the good times. So that's pretty much it. Getting up, having breakfast. My wife likes news, so I don't care for it that much. She tolerates me and my babbling all the time about news stories and I tolerate her watching news but she does phenomenal jobs of crocheting things you wouldn't believe uh angels and uh, all sorts of things so we have our little hobbies we do and uh, she helped me start to steam my green screen downstairs so we have a true partnership so we don't have to go where very much we don't go to much of any movies anymore but we have a full life of doing things we both enjoy. She has a high level of tolerance, uh, obviously, and uh, I, in turn, have a high level of respect for
2: her. Hey, guys, let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsor.
1: Support for Boss Uncaged, and the following message comes from Cerebral 360. Cerebral 360, where your online strategies become offline reality. Cerebral 360 has over 20-plus years of successful marketing and unique brand development. Contact Cerebral 360 when you need instructive online success strategies. Learn more at dot 360com Back to the show.
2: I think your life kind of – you ever seen the movie um, The Big Fish?
0: No, I don't believe so.
2: Yeah, when you get opportunity – I think your life kind of falls in line with that movie, and it's about this guy that, that lived all these different lives. And he's a big fish in a little pond, essentially. Oh, yes. So I think definitely when you get an opportunity, you definitely want to just look at that movie. I think that your life and your legacy is going to fall right in line with that movie, almost identical. It's The fish? Yeah, the big fish.
0: Oh, the big fish. Is he the big fish or
2: metaphorically yes oh okay metaphorically he was the big fish in a little pond and he was in the military as well and you know he lived all these different lives all these different things met all these different people on on this long journey of his life and it all comes to the end of his journey to where he passed that legacy on to his family
0: that's what i'm trying to do with my books
2: so what do you see your legacy going 20 30 100 years 200 years from now
0: (laughs) first of all uh, a big prayer (laughs) Thank you. <laughs> I think I said it earlier is that I would really like to feel that uh, together with my wife that uh, we've made a uh, made the world a better place, and uh, that sometimes it gets very hard, particularly things like our political situation going on and all of that. But uh, in our little way, my wife. Uh, my my son said to me when we were discussing, uh, how do we know anything we've ever done in life made a difference? And uh, he said, you probably never will. But maybe if you believe and you get up those pearly gates, you might meet somebody that says, let me tell you the impact that you made on my life. Okay? So we never know. It's like the books. Am I writing books to make money? I know I won't because I know 300 books you might sell to your friends and neighbors and family, but that's not why I do it. I, I do it because there are stories to tell and I hope somebody uh, somewhere sometime will pick up on them. And uh, maybe even with your help, uh, the podcasts and whatever, we can get the message out is don't give up. It can be pretty rough. And if you have so many ups and downs and everything, and you still are around, that should be a message that should be to people. So uh, my legacy, I think, is uh, just like we said, uh, is simple epitaph that says he made a difference. In this case, with my wife, they made a difference. So um, uh, that's, now, putting that aside, from the pride, a little conceit, whatever. I'm hoping that the man with more lives than a cat will be a little more known. So my distribution of thoughts, it's never too late, can be a little more widespread than just going to Amazon or one or two get-togethers. Okay. Anyway, I would like that uh, the man with more lives than a cat be known while I'm still alive and allow me to... Be recognized enough to be invited to a few more talks and things of that nature. But at the end result, uh, that we made a difference and we've impacted people. I have two, uh, one in particular, video that I dug up from 1985, and we gave a talk to a we'd called a junior high or middle school, and it was during Science Week. So my son and I put on an hour presentation and to these young kids, they think it's difficult to keep attention and you know you're doing something when you can keep the attention. Anyway, we put on this presentation and uh, when we got done with it, it was about technology, telephones, wireless, that. And when we got all done... uh, the reaction was such that I really felt as if we hit home and we titled the YouTube How to Make uh, Science, uh, How to uh, Get uh, Teenagers Involved with Science. And That was the theme behind it. So maybe if I think about it, I think positive that one of those kids, two of those kids, so said, this is cool and went on to really do something that other people would recognize and know. And they might remember the middle-aged guy with his son putting on this this talk. So I have this video that makes me feel very proud and think about there is an impact upon these young people. I have talked, given talks to my grandchildren's class, colleges, uh, businesses, uh, grade schools, and I enjoyed the look on their face when they get it. In the Army, I taught uh, technology, uh, classified microwave. And don't want to go too much involved into that, but there's a book coming up, and the book that we're putting together talks about this young man that's a private. And he goes in, and because he has previous technology background. He gets thrown into eventually teaching sophisticated electronics to officers. And the, the commanding general, Fort Mount, New Jersey, tells him that while you're in the classroom, and he tells the students, this young man here is a major, and treat him as such. And don't take it out on him on the drill field, because I still had to do all the drills and everything and nobody did. But it's the story of this young man that doesn't realize until his later life the phenomenal responsibility that he had to teach the leaders of tomorrow Mm -hmm. that would be running the command and control and the battlefield and everything. And if he messed up, then it could be a phenomenal disaster if the communication systems didn't work because he didn't pass any information on to the officers running it, and so don't know where I was going with that. Sorry, what <laughs> well,
2: no, What I take from that is I think that part of your journey and your destination is one and the same, and you want to inspire people. And I can tell you firsthand, I've only known you what like a couple of weeks, and you've inspired me already. Well, thank you. And, and, and it's I'll, not...
0: I'll pay you five dollars later. <laughs>
2: But the inspiration was more so, you know, like I just—I just turned forty, and like you said, so you're creeping up on eighty-five. Yeah. And for me, it's like this forty-five years to where I could potentially be where you are, or execute the things that you've done in my own way, and just seeing those pathways. And like you said, you didn't create your first patent until you was like seventy.
0: Oh no, no, my first patent occurred when I was uh, thirty-five. Thirty-five.
2: So you're the last patent, the, the GPS.
0: Yes, the, the piece to the resistance, no, if you will. The one that I feel made the most significant difference to the most number of people was the improvements in GPS when I was in my late 60s, early 70s.
2: So, I mean, I think just by hearing that, there's people in the world right now that may be 18 years old, people that may be 65, 55 in different journeys of their life. And to hear that when you're 70, it's still not the end of the road. There's still way more to give, still way more to do. And you could, you know, like like your statement says, it's never too late to make your dreams come true. So in all reality, I think you're a spokesperson for that in all
0: age groups. If I can just add to that a little bit, that was one episode in later years that helps illustrate us. Never too late. I uh, built an airplane with my wife's self. Mm-hmm. I flew it. I uh, crashed it four times. We call them off field landings, but they were <laughs> crashes. Last one was on top of a tree. And I was in my later 70s. I started seriously to write books. And I'll try to give you real quick how that happened. Anyway, I was now in my early 80s. I wrote six books and I got six more coming. So age has nothing to do with it. If you have a desire and you say, what more can I do? Okay, not sit in a rocking chair, even though I enjoy my rocking chair in there more can I do that can make a difference. Mm -hmm. I had a number of pilots that had crashes, and one of them said when he his engine quit, at a club meeting he said, the first thing that came to my mind is, what would Wayne do? And this was after we landed in the tree. And that was such a thrill to me that there was one person that picked up on what we did in the episode we went through and he said, what would Wayne do? It was not what would Jesus do by a long shot, but it made me thrilled. So it was in my late 60s, 70s, and 80s that I had all these other things that we chose to do, and uh, some so good, some not so good, but we took the risk, and I think we were better off. I'm very proud of my bookcase with those multiple books and stuff on it, and thanks to a friend who said you need some lighting, so he added lighting to it. So, believe in your friends and uh help them as much as you can, and uh, whatever seeds you plant, they may just flourish and grow time and time and time, far beyond whatever maybe your first intent was. So, Never give up. Yeah,
2: definitely. And another thing that you brought up, too, that I didn't realize that we shared in common is that you said you had a stroke. Oh, yeah. And I had one as well, too, 2018.
0: Oh, well, congratulations on uh, the reason I talk so much now is I went for a year and I couldn't talk.
2: Yeah. And I know exactly what you mean. It's like this weird, your brain is moving faster, than your body can kind of catch up to it.
0: Yeah. All I did was mumble. Hmm. So... And um, and now,
2: I mean, it's, you could never now, tell.
0: Now I over talk, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. making up for lost time.
2: Yeah, definitely. So it was a whole year that you didn't, did you lose any motion in your body as well too? Uh, no.
0: no, it, it just was just the vocal the, the part of my brain. Gotcha.
2: My first podcast I talked about, like, you feel like you're captured in a situation. It almost feels like you understand what stuttering really is. You understand what depression really is in those moments because your brain is 100% fine. You're moving forward, but you can't, can't, get, it out. You can't get it out. So,
0: My father, seven years in a nursing home, my stepfather, phenomenal body. He was a, a banker, my stepfather. So not the one I don't, don't know that was uh, gone uh, when I was young. But anyway, he had a stroke and he was in nursing home. He recognized the children, our children, when we walked in, and he would cry. You'd look at his face. He knew what was going on, Mm -hmm. but he couldn't speak it. He couldn't tell you how he felt, okay? And when I had that, it was really a flashback Mm -hmm. to seeing him that way. I'd like to interject one thing. Sure. Sure. Uh, as we're talking about how you and I both have experienced things like that, there's one topic which had been difficult for me to think about writing, but I am. I had my knee replaced, and that was five years ago. And I was recovering in a recovering facility, even though my wife wanted to take me home, because I had found out that I had also uh, cracked my bone and they had to wait three months to replace the knee for the bone to heal but I'd also I walked in here and I twisted my leg answering the phone so I don't run to a phone anymore anyway so I was recovering from pain and the knee pain and my leg healing and I had torn the muscles ligaments so the pain level when you go to a doctor says what is your pain level and he got smiling me, and it goes up to ten. I was twenty. It was the bed. I'm in this facility. I could, and I'm had to crawl because I had pushed the button, and it rang for an hour, a two hour. I then got out. Of, I rolled out of bed and I crawled to the bathroom, and I had one of these. I just got out of the hospital. I had one of these gowns that doesn't work right in the back and you see your butt and all of that. Yeah. And I, because of medication, Mother Nature had locked me up and I couldn't go to the bathroom. The insides were like a brick and I'm laying on a tile floor, my butt freezing and everything and under extreme pain and crying out. Nothing happened for three hours. And my wife shows up, my angel, with my son. And I know you don't know her, but she's got two levels sometimes, very complacent, very understanding. And then the other side, when she walked in and the alarm's going and nobody's there, all hell broke loose. So she grabbed me with my son's help and got me in the car and brought me home for two weeks. I could not sleep because I had the fear of waking up and that was the real world. The world of being there with her, getting up with the pee bottle five times a night and so on. That was the dream. I went into psychiatric help because I would get up and I would cry at nothing. I'd be watching the news and they'd be feeding me soup and stuff, and i just must start crying. Well, the reason I bring that up is uh, even under that situation when you're 80, uh, there's always hope. So I went through a little one or two sessions, and it's kind of the joke that they said, well, you must have hated your father. Well, I never did because I didn't know him, and I tried to give him credit. Doing what he did. We come to the point that, and I think this will relate to part of the story, that I was afraid of being alone. Doesn't that go back to one of the books we read about the little boy and he's afraid and he's by himself and he's lost? I was throughout my entire life afraid of being alone. In the one book, the full book, Searching for the Good War, there's a section where there was a storm, and my partner became ill, and they came and got him. And the storm got to be 150 miles an hour, and it was 95 below zero. And I was expected to run this most crucial site. I'm 24 years old. And I finally... Was freezing, literally to death, because it couldn't. The heating couldn't keep up with the wind, and everything was shutting down. So I pull up a table and I open up the radiation doors of the transmitter tubes, which were lower but very similar to virtually the radiation. After Second World War, atomic bomb the Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and I was alone. So I was alone when I was a little kid. I was alone freezing to death and being radiated when I was in the Arctic. And now I found myself alone, uh, 80 years old. And all of it came back, the fear of being alone. So what it says is they finally find out what was the core. And the core was, I was alone. So here the point is, It's never too late, once again, to find out what could cause something traumatic. So occasionally, I'll get a glimpse back, the post-traumatic stress, not terrible, but just memories I don't want to have anymore. But it's never too late to recover even things as difficult as post-traumatic stress. So... What did I do when I wrote that book after the Arctic experience about the Arctic? I dedicated to all those that suffered with post-traumatic stress because i have been there and I'd done that. And I apologize for eating up all your time. But no, that's I mean, something...
2: Good information. It's definitely insightful. It's a testament to who you are. Yeah. With that story that you just told, so look at, Your goal is to help people, right? Yes. And you're looking at delivering a message of an insightful, inspirational destination.
0: Yes. How
2: would you help an up-and-coming entrepreneur? What words of wisdom would you leave behind for them to utilize today?
0: Well, it's it's a cliche, but basically uh, never give up. It took six business startups before I really had one. No, One, the third one, that's when we did the elder care. But then we got hit up with the first Gulf War and all the banking shut down and Mm -hmm. all of that. The really honest one was literally the GPS. Mm -hmm. And even though you don't know why you're in the given path, eventually, I firmly believe there'll be a reason why you take that years of years and years of pat and that was a really never give up it's not easy so my wife and i time and time again would have a company that folded and we'd take thanks to a friend a little trip up north georgia to uh, uh, some brain recovery and then we had nothing we had bills and company unfolded And we were coming back, and we looked at each other, and uh, I said, Well, what are we going to do now? And she looked at me because we had done this same conversation many times before, and she said, Start all over. So, start all over, okay? If it turns out it goes through the journey of having a dream and then having a goal. And then in the process of trying to achieve that, you have some downsides. You have to believe. And if you work at it, you will find out that two things will happen. You'll either achieve that goal and that dream, ultimately, or you won't. Now, you say, well, that's pretty stupid. Well, what I'm coming down to is, so what? So you don't That one doesn't quite work out. So in today's, they say you got a bucket list. If you have enough dreams and if you have enough courage to take one more risk, then you say, what do we do? Well, pull that one out. Did I know I was going to get an artist award and be in a museum? No. Did I know that I was going to grow up thanks to my brother that got killed in the war? and uh, play classical harmonica. You know, am I going to be in Carnegie Hall? No. Okay. Did we know we're going to do all of these things, start and fail businesses, uh, invent this and that? No. But every time there was something, we either made it and said, hey, Ray, for us, or we didn't. And we say, well, where do we go from here? And then we just pick another one. And that's why there's so many lives. So many of them were Not quite. So he said, well, let's try something else.
2: More lives than a cat, right?
0: You got it. You got it. Hey, can I quote you on that?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) So where can people find you online? I mean, do you have Facebook, Instagram, email, website address?
0: Uh, Yeah, but I don't do a lot of it. I'm not the person that's going to sit down there and even weekly throw stuff into Facebook or Instagram or anything. I'm still learning. I say, well, okay, that's nice, that's cool. So within limitations, uh, like Instagram, a one-minute video, don't make it 61 seconds. So I'm learning that. Mm-hmm. YouTube's the next one. I can do the videos that I'm working on now. Uh, do I make a career out of it? No. It's almost more the enjoyment of figuring out how to do it and do mm-hmm. it once again the challenge.
2: Yeah, it keeps your brain motivated to keep moving forward, man.
0: Now, you have to ask me one more question.
2: Well, I've got two more questions for you.
0: What caused me, other than landing on top of a tree, mm-hmm. to become a multiple book author? And I'm going to take a couple minutes so I'll tell you that story because sure. I owe it to a teacher. So I'm 12 years old, and she knows that I'm crossed the tracks. I'm on the other side of the town. And uh, so, but she also knows that I uh, have a lot of dreams, and she picks up on that, so a contest comes up, and it 's to enter this contest and write this paper and she said, "You can be a pretty good writer, okay." So I said, "Oh, well, why don't you go ahead and enter it?" So I did, mm-hmm. and I'm twelve years old, and I won. You know what the the topic was? Free Enterprise for Peace and Prosperity. What the heck does a 12-year-old know about that? But one. So she said, yeah, you have a knack. And I said, well, what do I do? And she said, well, go write. Well, what am I going to write about? And this is important piece of information. Write what you... And I said, oh. She said... How many dreams do you have? I said, oh no, I just got this and this. She says, yeah. Write about, in your lifetime, write about what your adventures are. People will find it interesting. And when you you get to your older age, then write books about them and let other people know what you've learned in your life. So, It was not just landing in the tree, but it was this wonderful teacher that saw something in me that I didn't see. And there's a book that someday I'll finish writing called The Invisible You, and it deals with people. That's why it's payback time, that sees something in you you don't see. And it's that extra thing that they do that puts you on a path to improve your life. Now, you've written some books, continue to write because you've got you in your own way. You've got your own stories. But that's how I became really an honest author. Someone says, did you win any awards? I'll say one. Okay. When I was 12, I didn't spend my life writing books to go and spend the time and effort getting awards. I did it because of the message I wanted to put across and the what I wanted to leave behind. So it's... And to make us feel good. Reliving life with my wife has been phenomenal. Love. Because uh, we cried when we wrote the story of the Arctic. She didn't know what I was going through with storms and beasts and threats. So when I disclosed that. It was very emotional. I didn't know that she was, for all that time, a bridesmaid, never a bride. And every time she would go and participate in a brother and a sister and a friend getting married, I was 4,000 miles away. Hmm. So we learned how to really know what true love was. Sometimes I go on, ramble, sorry. Yeah. But I had to tell you the story of how I became an uh, author, and I did win one award. Uh, well, I, I
2: definitely appreciate the, like that story behind, because, I mean, you're talking about 12 versus 84. And so the, the fact that you remember from 12 years old and what got you here today is is a great story to tell. I got a bonus question for you,
0: though. Oh, Bonus, bonus question.
2: Bonus question. All right. If you could spend 24 hours with anybody, dead or alive, uninterrupted, who would it be and why?
0: That's
2: uh, always a tough question.
0: That's hmm?
2: always a tough one. You have to kind of like think about all the variables of people in life.
0: There's two, but I'll pick one Edison.
2: Hmm. That's a good one. Why?
0: One example is he never gave up on the light bulb.
2: Yep. What was it like? 10,001 and the light bulb actually worked?
0: He's got a thousand and some patents. There's a downside to saying Edison. He never really gave credit where credit was due to those people that actually did the physical work. Hmm. He was the creative guy. Okay, But as far as the drive, as far as never giving up, hmm. as far as uh, doing crazy things no one would have expected, Okay, he was in the agriculture business, and uh, he was in the oil business, and all of that. He's and uh, to how would I put it? To see or hear something nobody else did, and uh, I will say with some degree of pride that's something I feel very good about. Of about people that have the ability to see things that no one else sees, and the courage to go ahead and do something about it. Mm -hmm. Knowledge is one thing. Doing anything with that knowledge to make a difference is something different. So many people have dreams. That's all they ever are. Mm -hmm. And it's the saddest thing is to have a dream and let it die before it's ever had a chance to live. But it takes a lot of courage and a willingness to take risks because without, what's the old adage, without risk, there's no reward. That's so true. But I would pick Edison because it was a never give up. And we're not all perfect, but from the tough side, the ability and the drive to say, this is going to work. I don't know how. And then to see, oh, wait a minute, If I put this little filament in some kind of a vacuum, that was the the breakthrough.
2: The light bulb moment.
0: Yeah, actually. And then to sit there for three or four days staring at this bulb, (laughs) and it did not go out. So he said, enough is enough. Crank it up. He does, and it goes, "Mm and it it died at this glorious death, okay? Mm -hmm. But I would pick Edison.
2: I think that is a great way to end this podcast, and I appreciate you taking the time, Sir Evans. So on the flip side of it, at the end of my podcast, I always give the interviewer an opportunity to become the interviewee and swap places. So any questions that you have for me?
0: Number one, there's an appreciation that you spent some time. Number two, without the $5 that I joked about (laughs) and everything, you were extremely complimentary. You have given me the thrill a feeling that I gave you a little bit of inspiration. Because that's the food that kind of at times get me going when people go one way or another, aha, okay, appearance-wise or whatever, thank you for coming over. And uh, I hope this can be the beginning of a long and uh, I'll actually say one way or another way, a mutually profitable relationship. Mm-hmm. And uh, appreciate your journey and the things you told me about all the things that you've done and how you could make things better and move on to something else. And you are a futurist too, because mm-hmm. you see where in your life you have gone and where you need to go. And they don't have to be all right in a straight line. Definitely not. The number of things I came up with had Sometimes nothing to do with what I thought I was supposed to be doing. I would like to believe that uh, we do things at times, and this is President Kennedy, we will go to the moon by the end of the decade, uh, okay, not because we have to, but because we can. So, thank you, and I'm looking forward to uh, hearing your podcast and looking forward to further communications and some of the ideas. And we went down to see my fledgling green screen thing and you made some excellent suggestions. And I hope to see you. We got one coming up on Saturday. Another meeting. Are you going to be there?
2: I'm out of town this weekend with the next Oh one
0: excuses, make. excuses. <laughs> <laughs> Thank it's you, sir. It's a pleasure. Same here. No, Thank no, you no, very no. much.
2: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Cage. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to become an uncaged trailblazer. If this podcast helped you, please email me about it. Submit additional questions you would love to hear me ask our guests and or drop me your thoughts at AskSAGrant.com. Post comments, share, hit subscribe. And remember, to become a boss cage. you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off
1: listeners of boss uncaged are invited to download a free copy of our host S. A. grants insightful book become an uncaged trailblazer learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day download now at www.sagrant.com slash boss uncaged